Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Universal Basic Bod Podcast. I am Dr. Cindy Banyer, and I am the founder of Big Mouth Media, and I am here with the host of Universal Basic Podcast, Chris Proya. Hey, Chris. How you doing, Cindy? Good, good. Living the dream every day, just as us working class folks do. Yep, yep. Working hard. <laughs> every day. That's good. So awesome. I know we've been talking about this and trying to get this podcast off the ground. And so I'm so excited that we're starting it here today. And I want everybody to know about you because you have done some amazing things in the last few years and you're hilarious among other things. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris. I've been a working class blue collar guy all my life. A lot of labor jobs. I ended up getting my class A CDL through working at a big soda company. So you're, and, you're like you're like a truck driver, right? Yeah, I drive truck. Right now I'm actually driving for a landscaping crew that we do. We go to like big fancy houses or like big condos and install new plants. When they're done building it, we go and install the plant. For the last three years, I've actually been doing stand-up comedy. So that's been fun. And uh, you know the story about how I got into politics, but I met you at one of the Democratic going outs and whatnot. And I've always been a troll on the internet. When Facebook started blowing up, I was actually over the road. I was driving a truck over the road for a year. And I would always get into arguments on Facebook and whatnot and just point, counterpoint, how to debate, blah, 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 blah. And I've taken an interest in politics through that. And I've realized that I've, I went from basically growing up as a conservative Catholic right winger. I didn't really know what any of that really meant, to be honest with you. Right. <laughs> and from debating points and counterpoints on Facebook, I ended up being a super progressive liberal. And yeah, uh, it's amazing how that happens uh, to folks, right? Yeah. People get a little bit of information. They're like, wait a minute, this isn't what I was thinking it was. And then you realize, oh, yeah, maybe I am actually a liberal and progressive. Yeah, I didn't really change one. What am I trying to think of? I didn't your really thought, change one position. thought or position. There we go. Position of how I felt about the way the world should work. And I ended up going from a conservative Catholic Christian to a super progressive liberal. <laughs> and yeah, really and the I only thing that, yeah, the only thing that I do, I'm more of an atheist now than anything else. But that's about the only position I changed on. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like that, though, too. They, especially working class folks, right? Like we are trying to make ends meet, trying to take care of our family and our kids, pay the rent, keep the lights on. And there are these folks who are telling us, oh, you should believe this and you should believe that. And you are a conservative or even when you are a Democrat, right? And I think a lot of folks, they just don't always take that time to think about the positions, the right. issue, and what it really means to them and what it means to vote for people based on those positions. Yeah, because when conservatives push their ideals upon people that are unaware, it sounds good. It sounds great. It sounds like, hey, I don't want to pay that much money out of my wallet, and I don't want the government controlling my businesses and all that. But what people fail to realize is that just like this train accident, the Trump administration rolled back all the uh, all the, the regulations. Um, thank you, regulations. 
it's late at night and I've been drinking a little, so we're going to get through this. It's good. But, it's good. yeah, the Trump administration rolled back the regulations on the trains, and now we have an accident, and now all of a sudden Republicans are like, oh, it's all the Democrats' fault. I love it. They're like, oh, my God, I so care about the environment and the water. It's like the first time they've given a shit about anything like that. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Got wackadoos like J.D. Vance and they're going, oh, my gosh, look at this. He's sticking a putting a stick in the river and like pulling up stuff. And he's like, this is terrible. And every environmental conservationist is going, yeah, no shit. This is what we've been telling you (laughs) from the beginning that these assholes are just riding around they need regulation because here's the thing and that i'm glad that you brought up the east palestine thing too because this is what's crazy is until people started to hear about it and push it because it was pushed out of the media cycle i think i only heard npr talking about it a few days after it happened and really nobody else and it until there were people starting to apply pressure saying hey look this is super bad this is they decided to burn the vinyl chloride to prevent an explosion and it wasn't until there was all that pressure that the company was forced to be on the hook because initially here's what was wild they were only going to give that town and the people that were affected twenty five thousand dollars and wow. retribution after they had been forcibly evicted from their homes. Basically, they had to evacuate the area. And now, of course, we people are starting to be concerned about the water pollution. People were reporting rashes and sore throats and things like that, which is very consistent with exposure to these toxic chemicals. And now right. the EPA has actually told the company, by the way, the EPA was letting the company lead until there was this added scrutiny. But now the EPA said, look, you Norfolk Southern are going to have to take care of this. And if you don't, the EPA will do it and then charge you triple back for it, for the effort. So, yep, it's, it's, but it's a big deal. But if if people didn't know, they're just going to listen to who's ever being blamed at the time, what you're saying. Yeah. Definitely. Pretty much. We wrap that up. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good example. So let me loop back to you though, because you can just glossed over it. So yes, you got involved in politics. So you made the jump though, from just fighting on Facebook to what did you Yeah, I I made the jump from being a troll on Facebook to actually running for Florida State Senate, which was fun. Yeah. And uh, took a little vacation from politics because I got a little burnt out on it throughout the whole thing. But now I'm back. We're going to do this podcast and it's not going to be like my idea for this podcast is not to make it like a newsy type podcast, even though this episode, we're going to be talking about something that's in the news. My idea of this podcast is basically to cover one subject each time we do the podcast and then in about a year, go back and redo that subject. And basically, if anybody has comments or emails us any comments or suggestions or whatever, We'll go through and we'll re, basically re-do, re-look at our position and see if we're actually making the right decision. Nice. Yeah, I love that. And I know that you and I were talking about how this was going to go. And what you had told me at the time was that what was important to you is that we focus on these handful of issues, largely around finance and money, geared towards people who were like you that are listening and working class folks who maybe don't have the time to read an entire book on economics. You want the quick and dirty with them. What is, what's in it for me? Why do I need to care about this thing? Definitely. So yeah, we're going to be covering 
topics like universal basic income on one episode, universal healthcare on one episode. We might even do some fun things like space or something like in the ocean, or it's just going to be one topic per episode. We're going to dive into it and see what we can do about that or just what's out there. And we'll visit it again in a year and see what people had to say about what we had to say about that subject, basically. Awesome. Good. So, no, we, I know we have something planned for this episode. This is a little get to know you, but tell us what's the topic for today. So the topic for today is trendy and in the news right now. It is the debt ceiling. Congress does not want to raise, the Republican Congress does not want to raise the debt ceiling limit to let us pay off the bills on the money that we have already spent. And we have basically until June to figure this out or else our nation for the first time will default on its debt and that'll wreck the credit score. It'll make us look bad in the eyes of the other nations, which we need to limit because <laughs> we've been doing a lot of that lately. And uh, it's just not going to be a good thing for everybody. Personally, I feel like that Biden should take a page out of Obama's book, and it seems like that's what he's doing. I think that he should just stare down the Republicans and tell them that we're going to raise the debt sim- debt limit clean, and then we're going to work out where we're going to do spending cuts and new bill spending and all that on the budget, not the debt ceiling limit where you know it belongs on the budget side of it, not the debt ceiling right. side of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so we know we learned earlier this year that especially the fiscally conservative, extreme fiscal conservatives in the Republican Party, like my former opponent, Byron Donald, and these other folks that were supported by Club for Growth, which is an extremely fiscally conservative super PAC and PAC that pays lots of money to candidates if they agree to not add any spending. Okay. So those folks held... McCarthy and his speakership over their knee spanked them real hard and told him that there will be cuts. And they, one of the things included the debt ceiling negotiations. They wanted to see, they do not want to pass the raise in the debt ceiling, lifting the debt ceiling until there are things that are cut. And you're absolutely right that it, that's not where it belongs. This is akin to paying your credit card bill. And another dirty trick that they're actually doing is they're trying to wrap up really unpopular policies in the spending cuts and hiding it under the Democrat side, like cutting Medicare, cutting Social Security, cutting all these popular programs. They're trying to cut the spending there under this and say, oh, it's the Democrats' fault that we can't have these programs because they know that policies like that are just going to cost them votes. So if they can't come out and say, we're going to cut these policies, they're going to put it under this and blame right, the Democrats for it. That's yeah. what we saw. Biden, a.k.a. Dark Brandon, during the State of the Union, called out the Republicans saying, oh, you want to cut Social Security? And they're all like, oh, no. And then he's like, I got your plan that says that you're going to cut Social Security. And then he basically made them admit in front of a national audience that they weren't going to do it. And even Rick Scott has backed down from his, quote, sunsetting of Social Security and Medicare. But I think that you're right. They're going to try to stick it in somewhere to blame it on the Democrats. Definitely. Yeah. Even though we have the plan directly from our wonderful ex-governor Rick Scott. <laughs> <Coming> <laughs> saying that he wants to sunset everything. Yeah. Skeletor. 
<laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself with him. Yeah. Oh, man. So let's talk a little bit about like how we got to the debt ceiling. Cause I think people, there's so many of these economic terms that get thrown around. And this one, we rolled back on the debt ceiling is this was a, like an arbitrary limit. So actually, Congress made a law that said, okay, this is the amount of debt that we will take on. So basically, when we're paying, and this is what they're paying for, by the way, is federal government programs. So we're talking about Things like the FAA, the aviation, right, which we saw problems with earlier this year, paying for right. all the staff of the State Department, the de defense, the military, right, paying their salaries, paying the salaries of EPA, folks who are working on cleaning up East Palestine, right? It's paying their salaries. Those are the folks, the individual people that are going to be hurt if we don't raise the debt ceiling because we will not only just default on it, which is bad. We'll talk about why that's bad in a moment, but we're talking about the government shutting down too. So all these basic mm -hmm. services, many of which we take for granted for being there, won't be able to be paid unless that debt ceiling is raised. And like Chris already said, this was passed in the budget. This is ongoing. We already agreed that we were going to spend this money, but because of this law, that was put in place several decades ago, we have to go through this procedure in Congress to raise it again. And it's just an arbitrary thing and we just keep kicking it upwards. Yeah, we keep kicking the can down the road trying to find this thing right here. I'm reading something off of CBS News right now that said, has the debt limit ever been raised before? And yes, many times. Since 1960, Congress has raised the debt ceiling 78 times, either temporarily or to temporarily extend or revise the definition of the debt limit. They've done it 78 times since 1960. The debt limit was changed 49 times under Republican presidents and 29 times under Democratic presidents. So basically, this is like a everyday type of thing. But now, because the ultra mega politicians we have in the office right now, like I keep saying, they want to shoehorn in all these terrible policies right. to hide it, basically. Now, all of a sudden, it's a big deal why we can't raise the debt ceiling without any of these other things going on. I mean, it's a political, it's a political ploy, essentially, is yeah. they want, they want, they want these cuts and they are trying to use the battle for the debt ceiling to get the cuts in. So no. I know I was going to say, oh, sorry, you want to add something? Cause I was going to move on to the last time we had this big battle. Okay. We could do that. Um, yeah, I All was right. going to bring up the coin thing too, but we could do that after this. Ooh, okay, let's do the, let's do mint the coin in a few minutes because that's my favorite answer. So the reason, okay, so back under Obama, as Chris was saying, was the last time that we had this big fight, and that was because again we had a Republican Congress and a Democratic president, and they want to use this to try and make basically they're playing chicken to crash the economy to try to make a Democratic president look bad so that they're presidential nominee can get in. That's the strategy, right? They did this back mm. 2012. All right. And what ended up happening in 2012 was for the first time in American history, our credit rating was downgraded. Okay. Now, let me explain what that means because people say that, but we don't necessarily know why that matters, right? The thing that's important to know about this is that one of the ways 
that Americans money, our economy gets value is because we have people investing in it. And so we sell government bonds, right? These government bonds are considered the safest investment in the world. Great. It's It's a financial tool and people buy them. They get a certain percentage back, right? They are very stable and very reliable. And that's what's at risk right now. So in 2012, we were actually downgraded because of this chicken that the Republicans wanted to play. And it made our bonds, basically the way that people from around the world can invest in our country, they made it less desirable because there was, for the first time in American history, doubt that we would pay our bills. And that's a big deal because if people are not believing that investing in the American government and investing in the American people is a good bet, then we have much, much bigger problems than going to be president next term. And when that happened, we didn't even hit the debt ceiling limit. We were just there. I believe we were a couple hours before we hit that limit when they decided to raise it, but we still lost that credit rating because like you said, there was doubt. And the market doesn't like doubt. The market doesn't like risk. And that's what's really fucked up. It is literally the Republicans saying we're going to crash the economy to screw over the Democrat who's in office. And like that should really worry everybody because they don't these folks don't care. These these are millionaires, right? These are millionaires in Congress who are playing chicken with the economy. And what that means, it's all of our jobs, right? It's our jobs and it's the way that we make a living for our family that's going to be at risk. We are going to pay the price for their political Russian roulette with the debt ceiling. Right. I'm trying to see. I can't remember exactly if the debt ceiling actually got raised under Trump. believe it might have but i can't remember i'm trying to look we'll skip that (laughs) this is what happens when you don't do these things all the way prepared hey it's (laughs) we're good okay so let's talk about the coin chris introduce this idea and we'll jump in because i i think this is really exciting ah the coin yes What I believe this is, I haven't done a whole lot of research on this yet, but basically the secretary, the treasury secretary is allowed to mint a coin, like a $1 trillion platinum coin, one coin, what the government can use to pay all of its bills. And then I guess we go back to normal, which seems to happen. Let's see. So let me provide some additional context to this, okay? Because this is, um, so this is based on modern monetary theory and very progressive economics, based on essentially like how the economy really works. And let me preface this also by saying that the United States has been in debt since before it was a country, okay? So we've always been in debt, started with France, right? Paying for the Revolutionary War, and we've never not been in debt. Okay. So let me just put that on the table there. But the concept is this, that the United States is what's called a fiat currency. So our government makes money, right? It 
it's created money, it's created a currency so that we can have economic growth. Economic growth allows us to trade goods and services. We are no longer tethered to the gold standard. So that means that our dollar, our currency, is based on its perceived value. The dollar is very strong because our economy is robust. We have good infrastructure. We have diversity in everything from research and development to agriculture to manufacturing. We run the gambit. We have a strong economy. People trust in us. That's the credit rating, right? They invest in us. So we have external investments in our economy and in our growth keeping also in mind that the federal government is the largest single employer in the country. Okay. Mm-hmm. have a vested interest in the entire workforce in our economy to keep the government running. Okay. So because of that, we know, and we take on the debt and we do that because we, although we have taxes and taxes, people, the, one of the biggest misconceptions is that taxes pay for the government services. That's not really true. Okay. What's really, what happens is taxes is our way to essentially pay a share into the system, right? And the modern monetary theory taxes are here for us to basically to create for us to work, right? If we didn't have a reason to create something or to work, to pay the taxes, like we didn't have taxes to pay, if we didn't have houses to buy, if we didn't have food to buy, we wouldn't work, right? So it's an incentive to get everybody involved in the process. But that really, ultimately, the accounting in the government is like shifting numbers from column to column, right? This is input, this is output, this is expense, right? But ultimately, that makes us have a super awesome economy with a very high standard of living. Okay. So because, like you said, the treasury can mint any denomination of coin and paper money it needs, right, to do its business, to do the business of the American government, that we could mint a trillion dollar coin and pay the debt and just be done with the discussion. So we wouldn't have to worry about the debt ceiling. We wouldn't have to worry about all of those things that the Republicans are holding over the Democrats' head because there would be no debt ceiling. We would just be back to zero. We would zero out the account. We could put the trillion dollar coin back in because here's what it comes down to is like, we really don't rely solely on paper money or coin money. We don't rely on gold. Okay. It literally is how much we believe in this thing we call our economy and how much the rest of the world believes that we will produce what we say we're going to produce, that we will continue to provide value. And the most dangerous thing that we can do is erode that belief. So that's the primer into where the mint the coin idea came from, which had been, by the way, actually used into Congress as a solution to the debt ceiling by Rashida Tlaib, representative from Detroit. I think it was 116th Congress. She did that. But it's such a wild concept for people because most people believe that the American government functions like a household budget, right? Where get this money, you pay for this thing, you get this thing, right? But the fact of the matter is, Most of our household budgets don't even work like that, right? People who are homeowners are living off of credit because they have a mortgage, right? They have a car loan. They have a credit card, right? So most people are still living 
way beyond the input output of their everyday life, right? And mm -hmm. if you just think about that, the American government, the federal economy or the federal government and the American economy operate on a, such a much larger scale than that. It's not input output. And that's the big thing that we got to get people to stop believing when it comes to the American economy is it's so much more robust than that. And there's so many things that we can do to keep it going. And we, meaning the American people, really specifically meaning Republicans and politicians, are the threat to the American economy. Did I just blow your mind? No, it, it makes a lot of sense because, like you said, the mortgage, people get mortgages all the time and they're basically living off of that, you know, mm -hmm. paying their house off a little bit at a time. So what's yeah. to stop? This is my question with the coin. What's to stop? Let's say Trump gets back in and mints 10 more coins to give to his buddies as souvenirs. What's to stop something like that from happening other than the adults in the room? And yeah, you would need the adults in the room. Again, it's, and this is the other thing when talking about tea or minting the coin, right? It doesn't mean it's a free for all, right? It's not like Oprah Winfrey, you get a coin and you get a coin and you get a coin, right? It's, right. it's, it's like, it's a tool, right? It's a tool that we have and that has consequences. And you can think about it right now because we actually see these fiscal and monetary tools being used all the time. People have probably heard about the interest rates going up, right? It's mm -hmm. a tool that the Fed has to manage the economy, right? Interest rates raise because they want spending to go down because the economy was moving too fast and inflation was high, right? And inflation is high because supply and demand is not pulling out, right? So you get inflation when you have more demand than you have supply, right? So the interest rate is there to try to make the demand go down. It's one of the tools in financial management at the federal level that we have. And so, yeah, if Trump, let's say that he had Steven Mnuchin back in there. Yeah, he could tell Steven Mnuchin to mill, mint five trillion coins and then he could abscond off to... I don't know who would take them at this point. North Korea? I don't know. But at that point, <laughs> it would have destroyed the economy. So they would be worthless because it's about trust. And as long as it looks like we're doing the right thing, we're producing what we say we're going to do, then everybody's everybody believes it. Think about this. And this was the turning point. <laughs> this is the turning point for me when I had basically believed in modern monetary theory throughout. I have a like the equivalent of a minor, an undergraduate in economics, okay? And I had this moment where I realized that the entire global economy was based on perception. The economy works because we believe it works. It's, <laughs> you want to, you're talking about, you went from Catholic to atheist, right? So there was a bit of a faith in there. Right. We actually have a faith-based economy. Let me put it that Monetary way, right? system, yeah. Yeah, because we yeah, have to sense. believe that it works. And the, and that's why we the credit score is. That's just like a, a reflection of uh, a quantification of the belief in the American economy. That's what that is. So as soon as we stop spending, as soon as we stop, you know, we think that there's going to be a downturn, then there is. It's wild to think about. But that's why we saw also during COVID and during the, the economic crash in 2010, such high levels of government intervention, because if you have the belief that the economy is functioning bottom out, right, that's catastrophic. 
So you actually have to keep people believing that it's going to work. Definitely. Yeah, it makes sense. And I'm always a guy that's willing to try something once for sure. I say we just we, try the coin. Just do it. Yeah, we try it once and see if it works. And once we get it back to where it belongs and then, hey, maybe something else comes along and we have to do it again one time. But uh, <laughs> that seems to be a lot of... I had a thought while you were talking. There seems to be a lot of the... Again, it's a lot of the Republican, this will never work type thing. Let's just try it. What's the harm in it? You know, how much You're, how much money flows through the economy every single day that we couldn't fix one big problem a day or something like that? So definitely, it's worth giving it a shot for sure. Yeah, hashtag just like I think, <laughs> Yeah, just like I think even if we tried universal basic income for a little bit and see if that works. If it doesn't work, hey, we could take it back. Sure. Try universal basic health care or something. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So I think we got our fill on the debt ceiling. Is there anything else you want to add? Not the debt ceiling, no. <laughs> good. So I think that we are probably at the upper limit of what we wanted to target for this show because we had. A, mm -hmm. I was very excited to to be able. You wanted to talk about the coin. Oh man, that'll get me going. So good. So any like final thoughts for our first episode here today? Uh, not really. I mean, I think we're going to set up an email for this show, a universal basic podcast email. Once we get that set up, we'll just let people know where they can email their comments or questions or anything. And when we revisit this topic next year, then we can have all those to look through and talk about what people actually want to talk about. If you're local to Fort Myers, I got tons of shows coming up. I'm on Facebook. Come find me at a show and support a local comedian, like I'm trying to say all the time. Awesome. And congratulations to you, Dr. Cindy Bonnier. I heard you just got married. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It was That's wonderful. Awesome news. Yeah. So um, I was going to say, you will be able to see us at our social media on Big Mouth Media. So you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And right. this episode will be fully available in video on the in or at bigmouthmediafl.com and we are going to be doing this every other week so you can expect that and we have subscriptions ready for that so subscriptions for this show start off at $2.99 a month so we'd love for you to support independent media and become an early subscriber to Universal Basic Podcast. You get the whole year for $29.99. And that will help working class folks like Chris and I put some money in our bank account to keep things going for us. You can actually get subscription to all of the podcasts and videos. And that's the full length videos from everything that Big Mouth Media has to offer for a $199.99. A year or $19.99 a month. We would love to have your support on that. And then you get my in daily podcast, Dr. Cindy Speaks. You get Misinformational with Rebecca Jones. You'll get Juice Fresh Talk with Chantel Rhodes and I, and all of the other new ones that we have coming on. So we would love for you to be able to support us that way. And of course, you, we can join in the conversation when we post these on any of our social media platforms as well, or contact us directly at info at bigmouthmediafl.com. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Cindy. How you feeling? Good? Pretty good. Good. Yep. We did it. All right. Amazing. We'll see everybody <laughs> next time. Bye-bye. Definitely. Bye-bye.